Wow, so many of you showed up. I'm so, I have genuinely am so honored. And it's really fun to be coming and to kind of get integrated into this family. Uh, we have not done that for 20 years. Been to a new church where we were like just coming in to an already existing family. So thank you for your warm welcome. I have to say that. It was actually um, kind of funny. I had to chuckle to myself when Lizzie and Gear asked me to share my story. Um, I thought it was kind of funny because for so many years, I would kind of dread the question of like, what's your story? Tell me your story. And I think just the reality was that my story was so painfully boring. Like there just was like nothing interesting to say. Like, uh, well, like, how fast can I get through this to the next thing? Because before, because I'm going to lose them within a minute. Well, but I am happy to say that Jesus in his kindness has given me a gnarly, crazy, beautiful story. And um, I am so grateful to get to share with you my crazy story of God's extravagant, uh, unexpected kindness. Um so, yeah. And please bear with me. I'm not a speaker. I know a guy who's a speaker, but, um, but uh, so I have notes, you know, try and keep me on task so I don't rabbit trail everywhere. Jesus, please do all you want to do in this room, in and through my story. Magnify yourself. You are so, you are so kind. I give you this time. Do all you want to do. In Jesus' name, I just thank you. I remember sitting with my computer open and having just typed in the name of a rare neurological disease. I'd just come from a four-hour appointment with a specialist, and he had finally landed on a diagnosis that made sense of what was happening to my face. He told me not to Google it, but I did anyways. And as I watched the video, for the first time in over a decade of struggling with chronic illness, I was completely and utterly overwhelmed by what I saw. This was not bad. It was literally my worst nightmare. There was no way to spin it. There were no silver linings. There wasn't even any treatment. I was completely devastated. Now, all of this started about 10 years previously to this, after the birth of our first son. I started having these bouts of unexplained illness. And at first, we assumed it was just the repercussions of motherhood. But it became increasingly clear over time that something more was going on. This was the beginning of eventually what we would come to find would be a 15-year struggle with chronic illness. The first 10 years were challenging, what you might call quality of life inhibiting, but not life-threatening. The last five years were something totally different. It was like something in my body had broken neurologically. At times, I would shake like I had Parkinson's. I was having spasms in my face. 
my body felt like it was vibrating internally and I was so weak that I couldn't walk down the stairs without gripping tightly to the railing. My mind and my memory were severely affected and I suddenly and unexpectedly lost all kinds of vision. Like I could, I just couldn't see like I had been able to before physically. It just, at first the doctors thought I had a brain tumor. Then they thought maybe spinal tumors. They tested for all kinds of things, and we thought I was dying, if I was honest. Then, when I'd come to peace with that, I thought I could die with dignity. That was my, that was my thing. If, if I die, I think I can die with dignity. I, I, think I, can, I think I can come to peace with that. That's when they started saying words like degenerative disease and movement disorders. Things that let you live, but they left you crippled. That, for me, was a lot harder to swallow. It was in this season that it forced me to do a lot of the inner work around grief and acceptance. I knew that I would probably die young or be crippled, and the honest implications of what that would do and be like for my family specifically became increasingly sober. It was also during this time that on top of everything else, I was given the diagnosis of a rare neurological disorder. It would primarily affect my face. It had a 50% chance of increasing in my lifetime. And should it progress, all the muscles in my face, starting with my eyes, moving down into my cheeks and mouth and tongue and jaw, would begin to spasm severely and continuously, crippling my face and making it difficult to eat, to talk, to kiss my husband. I already had facial spasms at the time. And daily, I lived under the constant fear that at any moment the progression would be triggered and I would lose complete control over my face. Should this occur, I knew that I would be an embarrassment to my children and that I would rarely leave the house. It was like living under the expectation of my worst nightmare. It was also during this season that some of our dear friends had come to visit us who were mentors of ours, and they were from South Africa. And I remember the husband saying this, bizarre thing to me. He asked me the question, if I knew of any generational curses that might be on my family. John, Mark, and I had no paradigm for this. You read about that in scripture, but we had never even thought of it or even heard of it in like real life, you know. Um, I didn't know of any generational curses. I mean, I don't even know how you check for something like that. You're like, 23 and me, generational curses. Um, So so that was like, I told them, no, I don't know of any generational curses, but I do, I mean, I did have this great grandmother from Mexico City, and she only spoke Spanish, and she always squeezed my cheeks super hard, and she was really into tarot cards and palm reading, but I don't know if that's like a thing. And he was like, hmm, I don't know. So we just kind of sat with that and held that and didn't really do anything about it. Fast forward a couple of years, 
I'm, I get this phone call from my brother who'd been doing some, just having some conversations around our family history, trying to record stuff. And he came across this bizarre story about a generational curse, calls me up and just says, this is crazy and it affects you. So this is that story as it came to us. My great-grandmother lived in Mexico City, and she had fallen in love with a, a diplomat who was Cuban. And apparently they had shacked up together, had eight kids together, never got married in Mexico City. And... They started having a bunch of sickness, and I think one of their kids may have died. And so, like you do when you do tarot cards and palm reading, same grandma, great-grandma, she went to a psychic, and she said to the psychic, why are we sick and dying? And the psychic said, it's because there's a curse that's been placed on you and your bloodline, and it's from the man you live with's wife. Now, up until this time, she had no idea he was married, and he had apparently left his wife in a mental institution in Cuba and come and started a new family in Mexico City with my great-grandma. And from that mental institution, my great, this woman had either herself or through a witch or shaman placed a blood curse on my great-grandma. And the psychic told my great-grandma this. She said, the curse is this, that the firstborn girl down through your bloodline in every family will be cursed with terrible illness or early death. Whoa. Now, what was interesting, so my brother tells me this, and I'm like, well, that's weird. And what, I mean, what do you even do with that? Like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Um, so after hearing this, uh, you know, obviously processing this with John Mark, I remembered and was reminded that a couple of years earlier, probably around the same time that our mentors had come, we had all been making, like in our, in our little house church community group, we had been going through the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and they have you go make a genogram, which is basically like a family tree where you can kind of see patterns of behavior in your family, sickness, you know, divorce, adultery, whatever, just to kind of understand the things that come down to you through your family so you can kind of just be aware of it and bring that to Jesus. During that season, like when we made that genogram, when I made mine, I told John Mark, look at this. This is nuts. There is so much sickness and early death in the women on my dad's side of the family. But it wasn't the same disease. And it wasn't every single woman, but it was prevalent. In hindsight, it was a firstborn girl in every family. It was four generations strong, and it never skipped one generation. So if you looked um, at my family, it was like my great-grandmother, her firstborn daughter was my grandmother. She died in her 60s and was sick for probably 10, maybe 20 years. Her firstborn daughter was my aunt, who's still alive and very crippled. She's the sickest woman I've ever met. Her firstborn daughter died in a car accident at 16. My brother's firstborn daughter was crippled and very, very disabled and died at 8. I'm the firstborn daughter of my dad. 
starting at 23. I was very sick. And there was one cousin that it hadn't hit. And so I thought, well, maybe maybe this isn't even a thing. I mean, because there's one cousin. And so the day before we ended up meeting with somebody to break this curse off, I got a phone call from a family member saying that one cousin had just been diagnosed with stage three or four throat cancer, younger than me, three kids. So I was like, John Mark, what should we do? And he was like, I have no idea. Let's call my theology professor because we needed somebody who was grounded and theological and not weird. And we just wanted to know, what do you do about a generational curse, you know, with this? So we call him and um, he told me, I remember asking him actually, I said, his name is Gary. And I said, Gary, is this even like a real thing? I mean, it's crazy in my family line, but I feel like a Disney princess. Is this like, I mean, curses? Like, really? Is that like a thing? He said, no, it's absolutely a real thing and you need to break it. So he connected us with a man who had done deliverance ministry years before and had retired, but as a favor to Gary and to, um, and to us, he came out of retirement and met with us, said he would meet with us. Um, to break this curse off. Now, the whole week before we met with him, I kept feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying to me over and over the same phrase, you have to be holy. And I didn't really understand at the time what that meant. I think I, I felt like I'm doing all the, I'm not cheating on John Mark or doing like crack cocaine or like, like I don't have like these huge gross sins, but it, the, my favorite definition of holiness is to be fully devoted. It's to be fully devoted for sake, like, it's like, and set apart. And in hindsight, I think that's exactly what he was asking of me. Trust me with everything. Be fully devoted to me and put everything else down. So in preparation for meeting with this man... Um, we call, we began to we fasted for two days, and we called our community and our families to fast with us in preparation for this. We got to the house where we were meeting this man, and um, I just remember he he called me. Actually, John Mark called me up. They were sitting in a room upstairs, and it was my brother that was there my husband, and this man who was a trustworthy, godly, very godly man in his 70s. And, he, and John Mark said, Tam, it's time to come up. Come on up. And as I started walking up the stairs, my face began spasming the worst it ever had. It was so gnarly that I could barely open one of my eyes. When I walked through the doorway, it was like a whole other level. And, my, and John Mark and my brother both said, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Are you okay? And I just said, I have no idea, but let's just pray. So this man had me sit down. 
He said, do you have any sin you need to confess? And by the grace of God, I had been fasting and praying and done all that in private. Jesus and, you know, and my community, the women that I had felt comfortable with. So I didn't have a bunch of things that would be kind of embarrassing to honestly, like, confess in front of your brother and some random guy and your husband. So I was like, "Ah." Um, no, I think to the best of my ability, I think I'm right with God. I mean, I don't think there's any hiddenness. So he said, okay, let's do this. He start, he, he literally says, I call, he, he just goes through, he goes, I call to attention the enemy of Christ, the demonic presence that was called upon to enforce the curse on. And then he t- goes through my whole family line, each by name that was taken and died or crippled and fell upon such and such and has fallen upon Tammy, made a Lourdes comer. And then he said, and by the power of the name and authority of Jesus and by his shed blood in Jesus' name, I break this curse. And then he had me repeat it. So my face was going crazy, like super crazy. And he had just me repeat it. When I said it, my whole face went completely still. And it was like something, it almost felt like I had like, you know, a a rubber band or like a super, super tight beanie on my head. And it felt like something was pulled off the back of my head. And all of a sudden I could think really clear. I didn't even know I was having a cloudy head day. That day, since that day, that was October 14th of 2020. Since that day, I have been radically healed. And my healing, I just want to say this, my healing was both immediate and progressive. My spasms and neurological symptoms stopped immediately, like they just never came back. But over the next year and a half, I experienced God restore my body and my person in ways I didn't even know were possible. And the funny thing was about this whole situation was it had never even occurred to me or crossed my mind that breaking the result would result in my healing. That was not even, we didn't even ask for that. It just was a side effect. I just thought, if you have a curse on you, who wants to live with a curse on you? Let's break that thing off. But it never occurred to me that in God and his kindness, would he, he would heal me at the same time. So since that date, the mantra of my life has been, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. You are the coolest. I'm so grateful to serve you. You are so generous and kind. And that is my story. Thank you so much for sharing and for opening up that part of your story with us. I'm sure we have lots of questions and let me just begin with one. If someone is here today going, oh gosh, I maybe wasn't aware of this. Is that happening to me? Mm-hmm. Or is my sickness related to that? How, how would I go about processing that? What would I go through to discern and what, what, do, I, what do I do? Yeah. 
Oh, I have thoughts for you guys. <laughs> um, well, I would say a couple things. One is sometimes, somebody recently asked me, they said, is, is your walk with Jesus so much different now that you are healed and freed from the demonic thing that was making you so sick? And I'm like, no, actually. The same Jesus that met me through my suffering that I learned to, that I learned to trust through my deep disappointment of not getting to be the woman I thought I was going to be, because this just was not the life I thought I was going to live. That was the Jesus who I learned to trust and walk with, and it was the same Jesus that in his extravagant kindness freed me. I learned to trust in my sickness. I learned extraordinary over-the-top gratitude because God is generous and kind and present through my healing, but it's not, it, it is not, it's not like I wasn't saved, yeah. and it's not like I wasn't filled with the Spirit of God, and it's not like He was a different God to me. He doesn't love you more if you're well than if you're sick. If you're sick, God will use and redeem that to make you a more like Him person. Yeah. Suffering can be the very catalyst that God uses to make you more like Him. It's exactly like what John Mark was talking about. That is the, it's like the fire that brings the dross to the surface where you engage your agency, your ability to choose to follow God and to do what he asks of you, regardless of if you have control to change it or not. That is more heroic than walking around free, in my opinion. So, Sometimes, though, God in his kindness will allow some of those things to happen in preparation for what he may do through freedom and healing. But I just want to start by just saying that if you think you have a demonic attachment or you have like crazy people in your family of origin and you're like, she was a witch, or she was, or I heard about this crazy thing, or man, at night sometimes I just feel like there's this thing. What I would say is, God, it, Jesus is the king, and he told us in the scriptures that we have a very real enemy. I think we live in contested space, and, I, and it's like I knew that. And I always knew that. I just didn't really like to look at the contested space part because I was just walking with Jesus. But I think it's like not helpful to be naive. There's a scripture that says, be wise about what is good. Not, and it says, oh, no, what it says. It says, be, see, I'm trying to, I'm working on this brain thing. I've been like working on memorization. It's new. Okay. It says, be wise regarding what is be, oh, be innocent regarding what is good and not naive. So be innocent regarding what, or be wise about what's good. Be innocent regarding what's evil. That's what it is. Yeah. Not naive about what's evil. And then it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So what I would say is, First, be wise about what's good. Do every, like, there are all these practices in the scriptures. Be wise. Do what's good. Like, fast. 
If you've never done fasting, skip a meal and pray and say, Lord, I want you more than I want food right now. And that's hard because I'm really hungry. But I'm choosing, it's like almost like an exercise in engaging your agency muscle to choose. And so like for some some of us, that's harder than for others. But it's a good practice. Then confess your sins. Exactly like the guy told me. Confess your sins. Get right before God as much as you can. Forgive your uh, the people who've wronged you. Do the work. Like don't do the work by the power of the Spirit in your community groups to forgive your offenders and the people you hold things against, because those are the things that the demonic will hold on to and not want to leave. So if you actually want to be free, if you think that's you, or you know somebody is. This is not a magic thing that happens. God gave us tools. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I find it so interesting that it wasn't when the guy told, the guy said over me, by the power and authority of Jesus' name and by his blood we break this curse. My face was still going crazy. It was when I said it. So if you, like I would just say, engage your agency to choose to be holy. Set yourself apart. Like, to be holy. Jesus, I'll do what you're asking. This is scary, but forgive. Confess your sin, then open yourself up to God. God, I give you the invitation. Do all you want to do in me. You have free reign. And then straight up, just tell the enemy to leave you. Get off me. I commit myself and consecrate myself to Jesus. He is the one true God, and by his blood, every curse is broken. The scripture says that Jesus became a curse for us on the cross. And it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's another scripture. I never really paid attention to that till after I got healed and delivered from evil. So this idea that Jesus, he's made, he's made these things and given them to us in the scriptures. We just, I think sometimes we think it has to be like magic or like, but God delivers people all kinds of ways. But sometimes we like ignore the fact that there's sin that we're actually kind of mm, babying or maybe like unforgiveness that we are afraid to uproot because it feels like too hard to let go of. Don't think of it as, as condoning. Think of it as releasing to, for judgment to God the thing that the person that has wronged you the most. God is able to hold that and to judge wickedness. Don't be in bondage to that because the enemy will keep you in bondage and it'll it'll poison your soul. So in that space, I would just say, again, like confession to sin, forgiveness, open yourself up, fast, use that as a tool, and then just tell God, free me from, please free me from evil. And just straight up be like, I just reject and renounce all enemies of Christ. I want only Jesus. He's the only voice and the only presence and the only spirit, his Holy Spirit, that I give permission to embody in my person. And see what he does. And do that in community. Like do it with your community groups. That's the best way. And I know it sounds weird, but like there is a way to like experience deliverance from evil that doesn't have to be in a tent revival setting where you're 
frothing on the floor, you might have some weird experiences physically, and that's okay, especially when you're in a group that's of trustworthy people that you don't feel as self-conscious around, and they can hold it. And if you run into a real problem, you know a guy, Garrett Jones, he's this awesome pastor, come to him, <laughs> you know, and then let, like, but... Take the responsibility of not asking someone else to do it for you. Do what you can to be right before God. Ask him to do this. See what he does. Do it in community. And I guarantee you will never regret consecrating, which just means being set apart first for holiness, being set apart for God. You will never regret being more open with Jesus and set apart Because the freedom that comes is uh, just to be human, to be more fully human and more fully yourself is such an extraordinary experience. So, I mean, I just, I know what it is to be bound and I know what it is to be free. And it is not worth cultivating or like tending to wounds that need to just be cleaned out and then just exposed. It's painful, yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Do you want to walk again or do you want to get sepsis? You know what I mean? So those are your options, in my opinion. I don't know if that's helpful, but. Amazing. Terry, what I deeply appreciate about your story, a few things. First of all, as someone coming out of an environment where maybe we took an unhealthy approach to spiritual warfare, maybe a demon under everything. I'm late to the church, it was a demon, you know. And um, what I love, a few things I want to call out, I think, first of all, deeply rooted in Scripture. Yep. As this is the testimony of Jesus, it's the testimony of Paul, mm-hmm. it's the testimony of Peter, it's the testimony of Genesis 3, mm-hmm. all the way through. And this is first and foremost, you're honoring the biblical story, you're honoring the teachings of Jesus, saying we have an enemy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I want to commend because sometimes we can just as Protestants overlook that bit. Um, and secondly, there didn't seem to be any flash or hype or the devil responds to loud voices. Yeah. It was the authority of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we stand, we don't have to hype up yeah. our sense. But our fight is not how loud we are, how flamboyant mm-hmm. we are. Um, we are not throwing rocks at Goliath. Yeah. Jesus is our David who slayed Goliath, mm. and we stand in his victory. And I th- it's a beautiful story that mm. um, we don't know who this man was, but it's simply standing in the authority of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thirdly, I think just the ongoing reality of ministry of that in grace and mercy, but holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, again, want to honor you guys in going, you know, not everything is the devil. It was, mm-hmm. hey, there's still... If I break my leg, it could just be I tripped, you know, and we need medicine. And again, this this is not you now, but me, you know, my family has a lot of, uh, my extended family have benefited greatly from medication and um, medicines and surgeries. And a little advice that I have is uh, do all of that. Oh, 100%. And in yeah. community say, man, but there's some... There seems to be something in discernment together that there's something maybe more. Do all of that. And enjoy the gift of healing through doctors and science. Mm-hmm. And then in discernment with community, which you've done, 
is go, well, is there something more? And you mentioned how the importance of community is. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about that, about why we shouldn't move forward in these discernments just on our own, mm-hmm. but in community. Yeah, I would just say, well, I totally agree with Gare. I mean, I've been to so many doctors. But I think a couple of things. Sometimes people think it's, uh, you know, oh, there's, I remember asking Gary Bashirs, who is the theology professor that uh, we had called and asked for advice from. And I said, Gary, how prevalent do you think demons are? Like, are they like, he goes, well, I don't think they're around every bush, but maybe every third. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I don't know if that's helpful. But, um, but I say that to say sometimes we have sickness, but it's almost like it's, you know, the ground is cursed. We don't live in Eden anymore. We live in what, the, uh, in theology, they call the now, not yet. You know, it's like the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is not yet. It's coming. And so there's these pockets, these moments where we experience the kingdom of God come in more fullness. And you're like, that was Jesus. That was like crazy. God is so kind. But then there's these other places where we long for the age to come where God's rule and reign makes everything right. And grieving is an important part of the human like story. Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he saw it. Like he wept. He also wept over the death of his of his friend in the scriptures. Like there is this healthy place for lament and community is always the best place to work out your 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 walk with Jesus, your discipleship to Jesus. Because even Jesus lived in community with the disciples and had like the three best friends, you know, of you know the the smaller intimate group and the the trinity let us make man in our image like the trinity is a it's a god is communal like he loves community so i just think that's really important um i think confessing your sins is a lot more powerful when you say it to a person because you can say it out loud but there's no accountability but if you say it to a person you watch with their eyes and, and can even track, you know, God, God's kindness and mercy through a person or the reconciliation that can happen through an apology or, what, you know, whatever that is. So, so I just think it's so important, like all of that, but also to remember that sometimes we have these sicknesses in our bodies where the main issue is not the sickness. The sickness is actually the result of unforgiveness. So I cannot, I have had multiple, multiple moments where I have prayed with people who have physical pain. And when in conversation it has come up that there is this, they have not forgiven their husband or they've not forgiven their father or their abuser and it's it literally has poisoned them and they have physical pain when they choose in not in some weird is there a demon we're not even talking about demons at that point you're just talking about Jesus and forgiveness and like what does it mean to obey the commandments that Jesus gives us and use the you know do the things he asks 
when they choose to forgive, Lord, I release this person to you for judgment. I'm taking this out that I've held almost like hostage in me. I'm choosing to uproot it. Like the scripture says, like a root of bitterness. I uproot it and I expose it to the light before you. This is vulnerable. It's painful. But I give it to you. You are trustworthy. And I, use your agency, choose to release it to you. When you do that, and then you say, Holy Spirit, please, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit to fill any area that was bitter. I've actually seen, even in a moment, I've seen it over time, people, their, their pain literally goes away. It's almost like it's poisoned their body. There's psalms about that where you kind of wonder if that's maybe what's happening. I felt ache in my bones and all these things where you're like, what is that? But like, there are certain things. If you do not forgive, I will not forgive you. There's sobering commands in scripture. So like we, if we take those seriously, like, I just think that's important. Sometimes our sickness is infused by the demonic. It's almost like the demonic uses that to keep us bound. It's not like the devil made it happen. It's like he's like, you have like a stronghold there that it's connected to. And until you release and are freed of the unforgiveness, the thing is happily making you miserable. So I don't know if that's helpful. So good. So good. Thank you so much. And I'm going to close. We won't do q but the dining hall wants to open it. Just to end on a couple of things. First of all, the Bible shows this wonderfully complex nature of the brokenness in our world. And we are invited as followers of Jesus to enter into, through discernment, what is going on here? Is it, we have a whole book, for example, on Proverbs, like, hey, if you're not wise, then your life won't go well. You know, and there's wisdom as part of living into the things of Jesus. There's following, there's obeying him. There's this thing called the flesh. There's this thing called the, the world. And what I want to say thank you so much to Tammy is opening our eyes up also to go, we have a spiritual enemy. Jesus says we have someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And C.S. Lewis is famous for saying that the great era of church throughout all of history is overemphasizing or underemphasizing the role of our spiritual enemy. And at Vintage, we passionately want to go, Jesus, we just want to follow you. Mm-hmm. And this is stuff you did. You cast out <coughs> darkness where you saw it. And you cast out foolishness where you saw it. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Because following Jesus is this beautifully complex but ultimately hopeful because he is victory over all. Mm-hmm. And so I want to leave you with two books that you can go away and read more if probably help you with your questions. Mm-hmm. The first is John Mark's book, Live No Lies, mm-hmm. because one of the great tactics of the enemy, which we all are in spiritual battle with, is he's the father <laughs> of lies mm-hmm. and deceptive ideas landing on disordered desires, normalized in a sinful society. I think I've memorized that. And that's helped me as a paradigm for the world, the flesh, and the devil. But also, specifically on deliverance, I've, I've, I've read and really greatly benefited from a book called Deliverance by John Thompson. J-O-N. Uh, John Thompson is a pastor of a church in Toronto. I think he's probably got one of the healthiest approaches that is biblical, faithful to Jesus, no hype, not 
overemphasizing, not underemphasizing, but helpful. And uh, very few books like that. And I think that's one of the probably best I know of. Mm-hmm. And let me pray. And then, and can I say one last yes. thing? I just want to say one last thing. I was actually talking to somebody. Well, I'll be honest. I was actually talking to a, an exorcist that I had the opportunity to like pick their brain for a moment. And I said, how prevalent is exorcism? And like, how does this, you know, deliverance work? And I think this is really important to just say. He said 99.9% of the time, the way that God wants to deliver someone from evil is through a process. It's a process. It's a, it's not lightning bolt style. So my story is, is so cool because it's so, such a moment. But it comes after 15 years of struggling through the formation that it took to come to peace with it. So I just want to say, like, when somebody who actually was, like, doing this regularly and says, actually, 99.9% of the time, God is after a whole pers- your whole story, not just the devil that tries to make you look at porn. Yeah. So, like, there's, there is this, like, a progression toward holiness that your agency is the primary gift that God has empowered you to use that he will that he will partner with through your community and through his spirit in order to become more free and more free and more free and more free until there is no space for the demonic or the darkness or the lies anymore because truth has taken its place the kingdom of God is being cultivated and you are actively making room for Jesus so I guess I just want to like normalize that Beautiful. So Father, we thank you that in Christ we have the victory over all of us. Yeah. That he came to defeat the works of the evil one. He took victory over them on the cross. Mm-hmm. And now through the resurrection and the life of resurrection, Jesus is working one inch at a time to bring light into darkness, to bring his victory into defeat in our lives, in society, in culture. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, we pray by your spirit, you lead us in the victory wherever it takes us. Wisdom, mm-hmm. deliverance, doctors, wherever mm-hmm. you lead us, Lord, you have come that we may have life and have it to the full. And it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. But you have overcome and you've transferred this from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer under the authority of the prince of this age, but under the king of kings. Mm-hmm. And we proclaim that over our lives, we proclaim that over our families, we proclaim that over our church. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Again, thank you, Tammy. We love you. If you are able to leave pretty quickly, that we can serve food without people. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon.